Welcome to Innovating Clinical Trials, a special edition podcast series produced by the Scientist's Creative Services team. This series is brought to you by Amgen, a pioneer in the science of using living cells to make biologic medicines. They helped invent the processes and tools that built the global biotech industry and have since reached millions of patients suffering from serious illnesses around the world with their medicines. Until recently, the model used for traditional randomized clinical trials has not changed since it was first introduced in 1948. Now, transformation is underway. Speed and efficiency need to improve as many patients cannot wait over a decade for new, potentially life-saving medicines, and trial participants need to better reflect the whole patient population. Because clinical trials are complex and multidisciplinary, there is not a single, simple solution. What does innovation in clinical trials look like? In this series, host Rob Lenz, Amgen's Senior Vice President of Global Development and experts leading next-generation clinical trials, explore trends and drivers in design and execution to improve trial quality and safety, decrease costs, and improve predictability, reliability, and speed. Randomized clinical trials are the gold standard for evaluating the efficacy and safety of medicines, but they come with many drawbacks, including high costs, long timelines, a lack of diverse patient representation compared to the general public, and occasionally ethical limitations. Now, historically, these trials were the main and often only mechanism to understand the effects of a medicine. But more recently, real-world data from sources like electronic health records or EHRs, insurance claims and billing activities, disease registries and wearable devices, are having a greater impact on understanding a medicine's usage and effects. Now, although this information is collected outside of clinical trials, clinical researchers incorporate it during the earliest phases of clinical development to gain additional information, speed up the drug development process. In this episode, I talked to Brian Bradbury, Vice President of the Center for Observational Research at Amgen, about the increased utilization of real-world data and its potential to revolutionize every stage of clinical research, from trial design to regulatory requirements to outcome measurements. Hey, Brian, thanks for joining me for this discussion on real-world data. I really believe we're in the midst of a transformation One really exciting approach, which is underlying this transformation, is real-world data. Brian, highlight just a few of the uses that you see for real-world data in drug development. Real-world data, information on patients' health status and or healthcare delivery, as is routinely captured in a variety of different sources. And real-world evidence is the evidence on the usage of medicines or their benefits and risks as derived from analysis of real-world data. That spans a wide expanse in the clinical development and commercialization arena of medicines. And there's a number of different dimensions by which real-world data and real-world evidence are being used today. Certainly in product development, there's a large focus on understanding target diseases, natural history, understanding where patients may exist. In the regulatory space, using these data to inform on potential clinical programs, on getting medicines approved through an accelerated approval pathway or label expansions, and certainly in the post-marketing safety arena. Real-world evidence are also used to support medical affairs types of research where we're looking at the effectiveness of medicines when they're administered in clinical practice, 
the evaluation of things such as policy decisions and the application of pharmacologic interventions in clinical practice. And then finally, in the arena of value-based payment decisions and payer discussions, we're really interested in understanding the comparative effectiveness and cost effectiveness of medicines to inform unpayer needs. The focus on real-world data has been compelled by the 21st Century's Cure Act, which is designed to accelerate medical product development. Now, this requires the FDA to create a program evaluating the use of real-world evidence predominantly for two purposes. One is to support a new indication for an approved drug, and the second is to satisfy post-approval study requirements. So can you share where you see the value of real-world data evidence specifically from a regulatory enablement perspective? 21st Century Cures was a, a huge step forward for everyone. The idea being that we can use these data to inform on regulatory decisions if those data are fit for a purpose. The study design is well thought through and the analytics make sense. Some of the places where we see this really taking shape in rare diseases and in the cancer space, we've seen the use of external control arms to support accelerated approval of medicines. And, and a number of medicines have gained accelerated approval through that mechanism. Here are situations where you have a very high unmet need. Potentially, you have a, a new medicine that is showing very significant clinical effectiveness, and you're able to use an external comparator arm of patients with that target indication to understand what the natural history or the true control experience for patients with that disease looks like and compare that against the new medicine that you're trying to bring forward. In clinical trials, participants are divided up into different groups or arms. For example, a study may have an arm where people receive the study drug being tested, while others are randomly placed into a placebo or comparator arm within that trial. We're now seeing, particularly in rare diseases and late-line oncology trials, the use of external controls rather than within a trial comparator. So what are some of the analytic considerations in taking this step? When you take a placebo-controlled arm trial and replace it with an external or synthetic comparator one composed of real-world evidence. When we think about a randomized controlled trial, we think about bringing patients in all with a target indication and we randomly allocate them to either get the new medicine that we're looking to study or we randomize them to some standard of care with placebo. When we do a single arm study and we want to then compare it to an external population or a synthetic control, there's many, many considerations that we have to go through. The first being, are we able to find patients who represent that placebo-like experience in the real world that we're going to feel comfortable basing a comparison on? And that means, do we have the information on those factors that are going to drive patient prognosis captured in a real-world control arm or external comparator arm, we're always going to be concerned about confounding. Are the patients materially different between those getting the new medicine versus those in the external control population? Having those important confounders, those factors that predict the prognosis of the patient, that's critical whenever we consider these studies. The second piece is if we have that information and we're able to then use statistical adjustment to control for those differences between those patients, are we able to believe 
that we don't really have residual uncertainty? Do we have the appropriate endpoints in the real world data that are comparable to the endpoints that are measured in a clinical trial where you have very structured data collection? The types of populations, are they comparable such that if we then apply principled analytics, we can get an answer that we believe is robust and is going to enable regulators to make a decision about the effectiveness of this medicine. Given the progress that's been made, do you think we'll be able to expand the use of real-world data beyond that rare disease space or beyond the late lines of oncology to other disease areas? There's a lot of work underway to test whether in disease areas that are not significant unmet need, a sizable benefit can be evaluated if the magnitude of the benefit is not so profound, there still will be some residual uncertainty. Under 21st Century Cures, the focus is on label expansions where you have evidence around a medicine established in clinical trials, and now you may look to see whether you can use real-world evidence to study the use of the medicine and off-label indication in the real world and determine whether there's, in fact, benefit consistent with that which was demonstrated in the original studies. There have been some recent examples whereby folks have used real-world data and shown that the medicine's benefit in new populations is consistent with what was seen in the original trials. But there's a belief that, save a few specific kinds of examples, using a randomized experiment still remains the gold standard for bringing this sort of evidence to patients. You're referring to the randomized clinical trial duplicate project. This is looking to determine principled non-randomized study approaches using rural data can consistently match the results of completed trials. If they can replicate that, then that would give us confidence in using rural data approaches in lieu of randomized trials moving forward. There's a publication last year in the journal Circulation and, and they presented the results from the first 10 studies and showed that 8 out of the 10, the estimate of the treatment effect was very similar. And then 6 out of the 10 resulted in the same regulatory conclusion. What do you think the biggest insights and takeaways are from that study? That team went through a process to identify a number of clinical trials that potentially could be replicated using available real-world evidence or real-world data. They did a fit-for-purpose evaluation. Do the data coupled with the appropriate analytic methods and analyses, is that evidence that can inform on a regulatory decision? Six out of the 10, there was regulatory agreement between the clinical trials and the real-world evidence studies that were emulations of the clinical trials. This study highlighted that when we do that fit-for-purpose evaluation, we have clear understanding of what we're trying to emulate in a real-world evidence study. And that should give us confidence as we move forward. It seems like certain disease indications would be more amenable to this approach. So diseases where key outcome measures are routinely captured in the claims databases, such as cardiovascular outcome, stroke, or myocardial infarction, revascularization procedures, or hospitalizations, or achieving a particular lab level that's captured in a structured data set. It may be more difficult with diseases where those outcomes aren't routinely captured. 
for a lot of diseases we measure in clinical trials, it would be a qualitative improvement or quantitative improvement or worsening in the symptoms of the disease, something that's captured through a patient-reported outcome measure. There's been a fair amount of work trying to extract data from the clinician notes, et cetera. Share a little bit on what progress is being made there. There's many other kinds of tests or assessments of patients that are not either routinely done or the results of those tests are not routinely captured. Think about measures of bone mineral density, even low-density lipoprotein data, LDL levels in labs are not routinely captured in all the systems that we operate. When we talk about the work ahead of us, can we use the extensive information captured in physician notes in electronic health record systems across this country and beyond and make that information into much more credible structured data? Here's where the use of AI and machine learning and natural language processing, I think is going to be very promising in the real world data space. We see AI assisted technologies whereby we can use an AI platform that reads physician notes in in a HIPAA compliant way and is able to extract and validate markers of disease, tumor staging, information on tumor size, information on other markers of disease, validating that against a traditional chart. Once we've done that, we build a pathway to take that unstructured information, make it structured, and combine it with all of the other rich data that's captured in EHRs and claim systems to make a more complete picture of the patient. The ability to bring that information forward, make sure that it's trustworthy, and then integrate it into these larger systems is going to really enable us to answer many more questions using real-world evidence. There's no doubt that the COVID pandemic catalyzed some pretty significant changes in how we conduct our clinical trials. Things like decentralization of certain activities that instead of being conducted at the study site could happen in the patient's home or in a place that's just more convenient for the patient, direct a patient shipment of study drug, just to name a few. And there's certainly been a lot of attention paid to that in hopes of ensuring the durability of those approaches in in a post-COVID era. As you contemplate the COVID pandemic, where do you think real-world data had the biggest impact? Two years ago, from a basic epidemiology perspective, we needed to use a lot of the available information from real-world data sources to understand who were the patients that were getting COVID, what was the natural history of this disease, what were the medicines that were being used by physicians across the United States and more broadly around the world. We were able to use the the rapidly accumulating data to inform on a lot of questions. This pandemic was moving in an asynchronous way across the United States and across the globe. There was a peak in one part of the world and, and and it was flat in another. And then A month or two later, the peak was then appearing in different parts of the world. This was very challenging to think about how you could even design studies. Where would the patients be that would be enrollable into studies? With the changing landscape of the standard of care, when we think about designing clinical studies, we think about a standard of care that we might use as a background that we would then randomize to therapies. 
But that standard of care was changing very rapidly, particularly as there were ideas about repurposing of medicines that might prove beneficial. And the healthcare community was trying to figure out how to treat these patients. And their prognosis could be quite poor in many, many instances. So there was this huge dynamic piece of trying to design studies in the heart of this. And where I think real-world data ultimately proved quite beneficial is that we could use these large healthcare systems to begin to understand who the patients were that were getting new therapies such as vaccines and understanding in large populations who would have gotten the vaccine or didn't, their relative benefit and the relative safety. One of the major limitations of these approaches that I often hear raised especially as compared to a randomized clinical trial, is that you can only establish an association. Now, there are just so many potential biases that limit the use to establish causation. And these biases are exactly what randomization in theory addresses in a randomized trial. So could you share your perspective on that and speak to some of the analytic approaches that are addressing the issue of bias? We've done a really good job over the last 30 years of uncovering many of the sources of bias when we use real-world evidence approaches. Early on, real-world evidence has been thought of as a data mining exercise. You have a large data set, run some analytics, you get some answers. There's been a growing recognition of the sources of bias, how they can arise, and what are the things that we can do with appropriate research design, analytics. When we randomize patients, we believe through random allocation that we balance their clinical characteristics, all of the things that may be prognostic. In real-world evidence, we don't have the benefit of that random allocation. We have the decision that the physician made about what medicine a patient should get. And so we ultimately have to figure out how to balance patients in one treatment arm versus another And that's largely done by things such as propensity scores, where we understand the propensity of a patient to get one treatment versus another. But it also requires that we have the data on cardiovascular disease history, blood pressure measurements, or the stage of their disease. If we have that information, we're able to apply and deliver evidence that is going to be much more credible. The other thing is now much more common is quantitative bias analysis. We are empirically testing the biases that we think exist in our data. By doing that, we get a better understanding of how strongly we can stand behind our estimates. One of the other areas that I hear discussed in terms of opportunities for improvement is around data standardization. In the clinical trial space, we have data standards, which most clinical researchers adhere to. And this has really been critical for regulatory authorities around the world. What's going on in the real world evidence space will be needed to get us to a point where we'll have regulatory grade standardized data? The success of real world evidence is going to be based in large part on the quality of the data. Recently, the regulators released a number of of guidance documents that really focused on data quality. We know that there's lots of different sources of data and having a better understanding of the provenance of the data, the reliability of the data, the transformations that are made to data before they come into an analytic data set that we might use to answer a specific question. The whole effort now on the regulatory side 
that that process is being much more standardized. There's more transparency about how that's occurring and the quality standards are being elevated such that the end game is data sets that are much richer. They're much more trustworthy. We can feel more confident that we don't have this big missingness in the data that would undermine our ability to make a decision. The last piece is think about the work that's going to be done around information such as omics and biomarkers. A whole new era is going to be coming forward with precision medicine-like information being integrated into commonly available data systems across the globe. So I I see that there's going to be a, a real rich fabric of data that's going to provide a longitudinal record, and that's going to require a great deal more standardization. Brian, look in your crystal ball. Let's say you and I connect again about five years from now. What are the things that we're going to discuss then that we didn't cover today? We're moving into an era where we're going to be able to deliver evidence across multiple jurisdictions, hopefully simultaneously. Can we study the natural history of disease in 10 countries simultaneously? Can we understand the effectiveness of a new medicine in five countries at the same time using principal design methods because we have interoperability of the data systems, we have interoperability on the analytic approaches, we have a common understanding of the strengths of those data, and we have the ability to prosecute analyses in near real time to deliver evidence to assist decision-making by folks across the healthcare ecosystem. Understanding the safety of a medicine when it's administered to hundreds of thousands of citizens in multiple jurisdictions, that will be an enormous step forward for us as a global society. Brian, I certainly share your enthusiasm for what the future holds with uh, increased utilization of real-world data. There's certainly some areas where some work still remains, but uh, you've also highlighted just how transformative real-world data is already today and will continue to be in drug development. Thanks for sharing all your great insights in this exciting area. Well, thank you, Rob. I appreciate it. And, and I share your enthusiasm and I look forward to a return engagement. Five years. Thank you for listening to Innovating Clinical Trials. And thanks again to Brian Bradbury, Vice President of the Center for Observational Research at Amgen. To dive further into this topic, please join Amgen scientists at the Innovating Clinical Trials Q&A webinar discussion on September 28, 2022. Register for the event at the link provided in the episode notes. To provide the best care possible, doctors must prescribe medicines that they know will work for their patients. However, most treatments are tested in clinical trials composed of participants not representative of the general population. In the next episode of Innovating Clinical Trials, we'll talk with Panda Motsepe Ditsejo, Vice President and Global Medical Therapeutic Area Head in General Medicine at Amgen, about engaging underrepresented populations in clinical trials. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe to The Scientist Lab Talk wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast contains forward-looking statements that are based on the current expectations and beliefs of Amgen. All statements other than statements of historical fact are statements that could be deemed forward-looking statements, including any statements around the potential science and innovation of genetics and drug discovery. Forward-looking statements involve significant risks and uncertainties, including those described in the Securities and Exchange Commission reports filed by Amgen, including our most recent annual report on Form 10-K 
and any subsequent periodic reports on Form 10-Q and current reports on Form 8-K. Unless otherwise noted, Amgen is providing this information as of the date of this podcast and does not undertake any obligation to update any forward-looking statements contained in this podcast as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. No forward-looking statement can be guaranteed, and actual results may differ materially from those we project.